0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to have you guys with us. And if you're here for the first time, my name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here. So thankful that you've chosen to join us this morning. You're here by divine appointment. God's got you here right on time. And so we're so thankful that God has brought all of you here. And we are going to be in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Matthew 8. And we're going to be reading verses 5 through 13 together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And as we we bridge into um, a new series, uh, this is going to be a great text to kick us off. So, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 5 through 13 together. So, starting in verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come underneath my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, they will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word this morning. Lord, to worship you. God, you are so big. You are so powerful. You are so sovereign and in control. And you call us into worship. You call us to not do church and check a box. You call us to, with our hearts and our minds, exalt you. And Lord, that is such a privilege for us. We don't take it for granted this morning that we have life and breath and the privilege and the opportunity to know you and to experience satisfaction in you. So God, would you just come and lift up your son, Jesus, among us? Lord, we are wicked sinners, proud, arrogant, full of ourselves, We've gotten off of mission this week. There have been moments of, of gross sin. And there's been a bunch of little sins too in our lives. But Lord, would you, would you put all the attention this morning on Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that is in him and the faith of this centurion. May you inspire our faith. And may you take over this moment to save sinners and to build up saints, God, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting our new uh, sermon series called Countdown to Easter. So that is happening. I'm bridging two sermon series this morning. We closed out our prayer series last week, and Chad DeClean did an awesome job closing out our month-long prayer sermon series. And so I'm bridging that series with this one now, which is a Countdown to Easter. And as I bridge, let me just invite you guys uh, towards these inserts, okay? These are prayer acronyms, okay? So we're going to close out the prayer sermon series with an invitation to grab one of these on your way out in the foyer right next to the New Heart Counseling Table. There's these prayer acronyms. So you might have gone through the whole prayer series last month and said, wow, that was awesome. I have no idea how to get in a rhythm of prayer, Okay, so these are just a couple easy and simple prayer acronyms that will help you maybe develop some rhythm as you pray. Okay? So, on your way out, you can grab those. We're going to grab them until they're all gone. But now we open up this new sermon series with the countdown to Easter. And so many years at Living Waters, we have talked amongst our staff and amongst just our membership and people are like, "Oh my goodness." Easter is X amount of weeks away. It's just coming so fast. We didn't really prepare. I don't know that I've felt prepared for Easter. Not this year, amen? Not this year. We're not having that conversation this year. Every week, all February, all March, and into April, we will be counting down the weeks to Easter. And what we're going to do over the next couple months is we're going to take a progressive look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and we're going to journey through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at some of the bigger events and the bigger healings and the bigger teachings of Jesus. And that's going to lead us up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so if you're marking your calendar, we are going to just, just flow straight through Matthew. And we're going to hit Palm Sunday on April 10th and then Good Friday on April 15th. And then Easter, if you're taking notes, Easter is on April 17th. And we are going to be journeying with Jesus through this. And my sermon title this morning is Only Say the Word. Only Say the Word. And it's a real creative title because it's exactly what the centurion said to Jesus. He said, don't come into my house, only say the word and my servant will be healed. And we're gonna look at this centurion and his story This morning. Now, Matthew, the gospel writer, is arguing in his gospel that Jesus is king. Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he is the rightful person to bring in and usher in the kingdom of God. So, if you're reading Matthew, that's the theme of Matthew. Matthew is going to constantly be telling you that Jesus Christ is the king and the lord over all creation, and he is ushering in. God's kingdom on earth, restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit and put all of us into a sin-cursed world, Jesus comes and he is the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is going to make right everything that was wrong when Adam and Eve fell. So Jesus, in the context of Matthew 8, he has just finished the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7, through He is getting right to work in Matthew 8. After that amazing sermon, he is going out and he is going to serve and work and heal. And he heals a leper in verses 1 through 4. And then he comes to this centurion, or more likely the centurion comes to Jesus. Sickness and disease were continual threats to people of this age and of this generation. Um, Not that we would know anything about sickness and disease, right? Right? Can I get a COVID amen? All right, you guys understanding what I'm saying? So in Capernaum, Jesus would go around. He's just healing everybody. This was a massive part of Jesus' ministry is that he would heal people all the time and he would eradicate basically sickness and disease in Palestine and in Israel during his ministry. But Jesus was approached in this text by a Roman centurion who was in a desperate situation. He was looking for healing For his nearly dead servant. He is looking for healing. He's desperate for healing. And there is a parallel account of this passage in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So if you get the chance to read the parallel passage sometime later today, I would encourage you to do so. It is an amazing gap filler of what Matthew leaves out, Luke includes. And it is an amazing parallel passage of Luke 7, 1 through 10. So this centurion, the big thing about him is that he has some serious faith. This guy has some saving faith. And I think that's the big idea that I have for you this morning. This centurion's faith in Jesus is powerful. And it is a model of saving faith and what saving faith looks like. The centurion's faith is a model of saving faith. And what it looks like. Jesus actually said this in verse 10. He said, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He looked at this soldier and he said, men, a lot of people have believed in me, but nobody has believed in me like this guy. And so I would say this is a model for us to look at. and, And this story answers the question that is very important to us. The question is this, am I saved? Okay? I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I saved? I'm like, Josh, what an elementary question. Of course I'm saved. I want you to ask yourself the question. Am I saved? And how can I know that I am saved? How can I know that for sure, 100%, that I'm going to heaven when I die, that I know Jesus? I would argue this morning there's not a more important question question to answer in your life than that. And we live in an America, Disneyland of Christianity where everybody professes Jesus and everybody says, oh yeah, I know God, I don't want to go to hell, you know, all that stuff. But there are many, many people in our culture who say Jesus, profess Jesus, but in their heart, they don't possess Jesus because they don't know that they're saved. So I'm laying out a challenge do you know that you're saved? I think this passage answers that question. We're going to look at the centurion this morning, and we're going to see four marks of saving faith in the centurion's story and how Jesus responds to his faith. So we're going to see four marks of saving faith, and we're going to apply that to our lives. Mark number one of saving faith is tenderness. Tenderness. Mark 1 of saving faith is tenderness. Verse 5, when he had entered into Capernaum, a centurion came forward appealing to him. Okay, a centurion. Let's just break down that word. A centurion was a commander in the Roman army. And I think I've got some pictures here that maybe we could look at while I explain what a centurion is. Okay, if you didn't know what a centurion looks like, the, the one is like super buff and the other one's pretty buff. Okay, but centurions, I think, what we can take from the pictures from the Google, all right, is that centurions are really strong. These are military men. Leave the picture up while I explain. Centurion were they were the military backbone of the Roman Empire. These were the men who led groups of one hundred. All right, hence the name centurion. Right, they were men's men. They were soldiers' soldiers. Like these guys were tough. They were law enforcement. They were the ones who went around and they they, they oversaw tough situations. So when we're talking about a centurion coming to Jesus, we're talking about a soldier of soldiers coming to Christ. Centurions were also very despised in the Israel nation. All right, people in Israel hated these guys because these guys represented oppression and these guys represented an occupying force in the promised land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Israelites just looked at these men with contempt. But this centurion was a little different. He was tender. He came to Jesus appealing to him. You can see that in verse 5. He came appealing. He was asking. He was begging Jesus for something. And he was a religiously very tender man. This was not your typical centurion. And we know this from Luke's account. In Luke 7, 4 and 5, all right, the Jews, the Jewish elders who approached Jesus, they said, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This guy was awesome. He loves Israel. This is a centurion who loves the nation of Israel. And he loves building synagogues, obviously. He helped build a synagogue for the, for the local Jews there. They thought they a lot of this guy. So this guy was a religious, God-fearing Gentile, which is very rare. And the centurion sent Jewish elders to go meet Jesus. Now, you, this might get lost in Matthew's account, because in Matthew's account, it seems like Jesus is coming and the centurion goes out to meet him. But Luke tells us that the centurion did not go out to meet Jesus. He sent Jewish elders out to meet Jesus. And they were the ones who said, please come and, and appeal and please heal. So the, the, the centurion's in his house making this appeal to Jesus. But yet, he's a tender man. And that's my first point. Saving faith is tender if you're going to get saved, you will get tender before God. There is no such thing as a calloused convert in the, in the Christian life. There is no such thing as like someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'm saved. Leave me alone. Yeah, I'm saved, but I don't really like Jesus very much. There is no such thing as a calloused convert with Jesus. If you are going to get saved, when you, Jesus saves someone, he makes tough guys like the centurion tender. Now, are there some tough guys here this morning and maybe some tough gals? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. In a crowd this size, there's going to be tough people who are like, yeah, I don't need Christianity. There's a lot of tough people in this world. But when Jesus saves somebody, he makes them tender, amen? He makes you soft. The most calloused and hard hearts, when Jesus saves, he leads them to tenderness. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the centurion. So God will make you tender when you get saved. There's a tenderness. That's Mark number one. Mark number two of saving faith is desperation. Desperation, verses six and seven. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And then he said to him, I will come heal him. So the message that the centurion sent in verse 6 is, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And if you look at the word servant there, that means my attendant or my employee or my worker. Servants in those days were normally very poorly treated by the Romans. Okay, So, so for a servant to be named in any kind of concerning way is a miracle. The fact that this centurion was looking down on his servant and had compassion on the guy was, was a miracle of God. And, and ultimately, it, it gives us more room to look into the heart of this centurion that he's not only tender, but he is, he's really compassionate and he's very desperate right now. He's desperate for Jesus to come. Now, the word here for servant is tr- actually translated young boy. It's not your typical slave word in Greek. It's a different word. So maybe this is why the centurion is feeling sensitive, because maybe it's a younger person who's his servant, and he's having compassion on maybe a younger servant in his house, and he's saying, God, please, I'm desperate, please come. And you can see that this centurion is desperate. He says, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So his servant needed healing, and and he was looking face-to-face with a person who's suffering terribly. And, and just like back then, so we are now today. When we see terrible suffering in our lives, we get really desperate for God, don't we? When there is health issues going on, when there are things going on in our lives, in our families that we understand we can't control, we get desperate for Jesus. And as a pastor, I'm on the receiving end of many of those things. When there is a health crisis In our family, within a family, within our church, I mean, it is constant communication all the time. Is that weird? No, that's not weird. Because when people are going through desperate situations, they need someone praying for them. They need to be reaching out for God to heal and save and restore. So think about all the Bible characters that were pushed to faith through desperation. Think about Joseph, sold into Egyptian slavery his brothers, that's a fairly desperate situation. That's when he came to a place where he was like, I need need salvation. I need God to intervene in my life. What about Jacob wrestling with God all night and prevailing? Shane mentioned it yesterday in his wounded healing seminar. Jacob was wrestling with, with God all night long pleading for the blessing of God. God had to dislocate his hip, but it was at that moment that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It was that moment that he surrendered. Jonah, how about that guy? He was in the belly of a huge fish, right? Before he finally said, okay, God, I surrender. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll preach the gospel to those wicked people. It was in the place of his greatest desperation that he surrendered himself to God. And What about Paul? Persecutor of the church. He surrendered to Jesus when he got knocked off his horse and he was blind and struck blind with a heavenly light. And it was, it was that moment of desperation. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Okay, okay, I believe, right? Just last April, Living Waters had such a story. Living Waters member Heidi Moss, some of you know Heidi, She got COVID last April, and because of her situation, she was rushed to the hospital, she was put on a ventilator, she had a tracheotomy, she was struggling massively, and it was a situation where her life hung in the balance. She was in the hospital, we were getting almost hourly updates from her daughter Bailey of how she was doing. And if you were on the LWF prayer Team, at that time, you know exactly how many times we were praying and and, and surrounding Heidi in prayer. And Heidi's life hung in the balance. It was a very, very desperate situation. And in late April, it kind of came to a head. Because oftentimes when those health crises hit, you wonder, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in the background of all these things? Well, God is up to salvation. One of the main tasks God does in desperate situations, he saves people from their sins. He puts them in places of desperation so they'll cry out to God. And that's exactly what happened to Heidi's husband, Kirk. Kirk is a guy that you know, comes to church every now and again. You know he's, he's, he's had a hard blue-collar life, never really knew God, kind of knew God, but didn't know Jesus. And it was at the moment seeing his wife nearly leave this earth, it was at that moment of desperation that Kirk gave his life to Christ and was saved. It's a great story of grace. And then as we prayed and God was merciful, Heidi not only pulled through, but but God brought her out of a coma and brought her back. And she came to church this fall and it was a great celebration of God's grace. Saving faith is desperate. You have to get to a moment in your life where you're desperate for Jesus and you can't get saved until you're desperate for him. And you can't get desperate for him unless your circumstances squeeze you to the spot where you need Jesus to intervene. Mark number three of saving faith is humility. Verse eight, The centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come underneath my roof. I am not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. Now, some commentators say that the centurion, he didn't want um, contamination to happen. Jews were not supposed to go into pagan houses, and so he didn't want any religious or ceremonial defilement to happen. Some commentators say that. I I would take a little different position. I think the centurion said, I don't want you to come underneath my roof because I'm a sinner and I'm not worthy. The centurion sent his friends to go follow up because Jesus starts heading toward his house. And in Luke 7, verse 6, okay, this is where the Luke passage really fills in the gaps. Jesus is walking to the centurion's house, and the centurion had already sent Jewish elders. Now he sends his friends. His friends come out, and they say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you would come underneath my roof. So again, the centurion never meets Jesus face-to-face physically. During the entire story, he stays in his house, and he literally communicates through the Jewish elders and now his friends. This is amazing to me. He never comes face-to-face in the whole encounter, but he knew two things about Jesus. One, he wasn't worthy to be in Jesus' presence. He knew that he wasn't worthy because he saw himself as a vile, wicked sinner. You can imagine a centurion had committed a few sins. You can imagine a centurion would have committed more than a few sins, not only on the battlefield, but also on the social front. And he knew he was a sinner and he saw the perfection of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the Messiahship of Jesus and he knew he wasn't worthy to be in his presence. And he also knew that Jesus had power and authority. This centurion recognized that Jesus could heal his servant without ever entering into the house. That's powerful. That's faith. Saving faith is always humble. Saving faith always views oneself as wicked, wretched, unworthy, and Jesus as authoritative and powerful. And I'm telling you this story because our society won't tell you this. Our society will tell you the good news gospel, which means you're great, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're powerful enough, you can do it. You write your own story, you can put it up on social media, make it look really awesome. You are the Messiah, you can save yourself. And I'm telling you that the word of God says, no, 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 no. You want to get to heaven? You actually have to say no to all the social media garbage that is out there. And you're actually not that great. You're actually wicked, vile, and you're not worthy for Jesus to even be in your presence because he is so awesome and amazing. That is the gospel. The gospel is the opposite of what our world says. Salvation only comes when we realize that we're wicked and Jesus is powerful and amazing. Now, humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not self-loathing. You're not humble if you go around saying, oh, woe is me, woe is me. I'm the worst. I'm probably the worst. I am the worst. I I, I just need to talk to my friends and family all the time about how bad I am and how I don't measure up and, um, and how all the things happened that you know were, were probably my fault, I probably did it again. Look, that is not humility. Loathing yourself is not humility. Humility is having an accurate view of your sin and an accurate view of Jesus. And saying, I am what I am. Yeah, I have a lot of sins. I've confessed those sins and I see Jesus for who he is. He is as the worthy son of God. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I don't deserve to be in his presence because he's so awesome. That's humility. That's how you get to heaven. Saving faith is humble. And salvation comes when you admit the reality that you're not worthy for Jesus to come under your house. Salvation comes when you realize, God, I'm not worthy that you would come under the house of my heart. That's when you get saved. That's the moment you actually get born again, is when you have humility. Mark number four of saving faith is confidence. Confidence, verses 8 through 10. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to go, one go, and he goes, and come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. The centurion said, only say the word, Jesus. Say the word. Just say the word. He was so confident in Jesus Christ. He had so much faith in Jesus that Jesus could just heal his servant like that. He knew Jesus could transport the healing straight through the the, the air into the room where that servant was and could heal his body in a moment. The centurion knew that Jesus' word was sufficient to heal. He knew that Jesus could heal with divine authority. And he knew that his mind was made up about Jesus. You know, that's the other way you get saved. That's the way you get saved. Humbleness and then confession, right? Your mind changes. You believe that Jesus can do these things. And he says, for I too am a man under authority. What does that mean, by the way? I too am a man under authority. The centurion grew up in a Roman system where the emperor gave the instructions and those instructions came down to him and then he executed those instructions whatever it was. And so he already knew how the authority system worked. He knew how it worked in the Roman empire. He he said this about Jesus, "I know who you are. You're not from Rome. You're from heaven." And I know how this authority system works, that God the Father, God of the universe, God has put his authority on you that whatever you say will happen. If you say the word, it'll happen. If you say heal, that's God will heal. Because I understand how this system works. God the Father has given you all authority To do all things because you are very God of very God, God in the flesh. He knew that Jesus had divine authority to heal his servant. So saving faith is always confident in Jesus, always. Saving faith is always confident in Jesus. It's knowing 100% that Jesus has the divine power from heaven to forgive sins, To heal diseases, to restore lives, to restore marriages, to make the impossible happen by the power of his word. That's what faith means. So this guy was incredible. He had so many things going for him, and it produced a response from Jesus. And this is where we're going to finish. Jesus had a response in verses 10 through 13, Jesus heard this, verse 10, he marveled and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus marveled. He was astonished. He was blown away. And you're like, how can God be blown away? Well, this shows Jesus' full humanity here. He's a human. And he is marveling at this man's faith. He's blown away by it because he was blown away that this centurion could see him for who he really was. This guy sees me for who I really am, that I'm God. And this man showed so much beautiful faith that Jesus looked around and he said, look, I haven't haven't found faith like this anywhere in Israel. Now, if you're a disciple, if you're Peter, James, and John, aren't your feelings hurt a little bit? I mean, come on. Like, dude, we left, like, everything to follow you, and we have faith in you. And remember, Jesus often told his disciples, oh, you of little faith, right? And he's looking at this Gentile centurion soldier, and he's like, I've never seen any faith like this in Israel. And all the disciples are like, oh, bummer. And the Jews, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they just get angry, How do we kill this guy? This is so insulting. We are the people of God. We are the bloodline of Israel. We are the bloodline of Abraham. Here's what John MacArthur said. Many Jews had believed in Jesus, but none had shown the sincerity, the sensitivity, the humility, the love, and depth of faith that this Gentile soldier gave. When Jesus sees genuine saving faith, he marvels. And I would tell you today, he still marvels. He still marvels and delights over you and me when we believe. When people get saved, God still marvels at that. And he says, wow, that's amazing. All right? And he says, not only did he marvel, but he prophesied in verse 11. People will come from east and west to recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, Jesus prophesied. He looked at this centurion. He says, this Gentile is the beginning of bigger things for Gentiles all over the world. I tell you what, Gentiles from the east and from the west, which is all over the world, will come and they will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the table of God in the kingdom of heaven. And all the Gentiles in this house said amen, right? I mean, my goodness, Jesus blows open the reality that this centurion's faith is the beginning of the gospel going out to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Jesus is concerned not just for Jewish people, but he's concerned for every single ethnic group on the earth. Praise God. Aren't you glad Brazilian missionaries are with us right here in the front row doing the work Aren't you glad that as Americans, we've received the gospel, not because we're Jewish and we are bloodline related to Abraham, but because we have believed in what we've been shown. By faith, we believe in Jesus. And so Jesus is just blowing it open and he's just saying, look, there is going to be this seeding Place right at the table of God for all those who are tender, all those who are desperate, all those who are humble, all those who are confident in Jesus. There will be a gathering place in the kingdom of heaven for everybody, Jew and Gentile, who believes in Christ. Revelation 6, I don't even need to say this because many of you already know this verse by heart. But there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And Jesus will make them a kingdom of priests unto our God. So if you are here and you know Jesus, you're not better than anybody else. Amen? You're not better than anybody else. You believed what you heard. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right, that saves a wretch like us. You didn't deserve it, so you should give it out pretty freely to anybody else who comes across your path, that Jesus Christ can save them from their sins. Finally, Jesus, not only did he marvel and he prophesied, but he healed in verse 13. Jesus said, let it be done As you have believed, and the servant was healed at this very moment. Jesus healed with a word. Done. The servant was instantly and fully healed, which, by the way, that's how Jesus always does healing in the Bible. Instantly and fully. Mark that down. Because there's so many charlatan healers in our world today who say that they're healing people, but they're not healing people instantly, and they're not healing people fully. And I would just say they're, they're false teachers in many, 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 many examples. And I trust that God is healing people instantly and fully still today. I still believe in healing. But this charlatan, let's make money stuff and let's just do it but not really do it like Jesus did or let's excuse away the healing experience because we want to explain it away. That's not of Jesus. Jesus, when he heals, he heals fully and instantly and right away through his power. This centurion is an awesome guy. He's a model of what saving faith looks like. So my question is, how about you this morning? Where are you at? Do you have faith like this centurion? I'm not asking you when you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking you if you went to church all your life. I'm not asking you if you're a part of a kid's program. I'm not asking you if if someone prayed this prayer with you. I'm asking you, does your faith look tender and desperate and humble and confident in Jesus alone. If you know Jesus that way, oh man, rejoice and spread the word. Spread the word. If you don't know Jesus that way, I wonder if you would humble yourself this morning and ask God for that faith this morning. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna respond. As we respond, just get real with Jesus. That's all I'm asking you to do. Get real with Jesus. Don't let the next few minutes waste away. Respond. If you know Jesus, rejoice and spread the word. Start praying about who you're going to spread the word with. If you don't know Jesus like that, there's no shame in admitting that right now and becoming a child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Opportunity to hear your word and to respond and worship. And Lord, we look at this centurion, what an, an amazing example. Lord, by grace, he was saved through faith. And Lord, I pray that you would even work right now in the hearts of everybody here. Lord, that if people already know Jesus, would you give them that ability to rejoice in their heart and to start spreading the word? And Lord, No doubt there are some here who are not yet saved, genuinely tender, genuinely humble, genuinely ready to to just throw themselves at the foot of the cross of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you just do a good work in us now as we take this next few minutes. Don't allow us to waste the time. Lord, help us to redeem this response time now. Do a work supernaturally through your spirit. Bubble up decisions that need to be made. Father, do your work. We trust your word to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.